You're listening to the Revenue Playbook. Join top sales reps and leaders as they share exactly what it takes to go from cold to close. I'm really grateful and honored to be here. Um, yeah, I'm a salesperson. I, I run a, um, a podcast called 30 Minutes to President's Club where every week I, I talk to different really high-performing salespeople. And it's kind of nice because I get really free coaching from people way, way smarter than me. And I guess I've gotten to be a decent salesperson from doing that for the past couple of years. But when I'm not appearing on wonderful talks like this and um, recording my podcast, I work as an enterprise AE um, at a uh, legal tech company. I sell software to law firms. I sell software to lawyers, which shocker, selling to lawyers isn't always easy. Um, but you asked me about a day in the life. And of course, as a salesperson, every single day is a little bit different. Like I might be traveling to meet with a customer. I might be showing a bunch of demos. I might have an open day that I spend prospecting. But um, I'll talk about the things that are really consistent in my day, which I think I can identify right now three elements. Maybe I'll come up with more as I start to riff here. But um, I always try to make sure that the beginning of my day and the end of the day, the bookends, um, those are the two areas that I truly believe I can control. I can always control what happens first thing in the morning when I, when I wake up, and I always can control how the day ends. The third element is a really critical piece, which is I call it planning your attack before attacking your plan. One area that I think a lot of salespeople and, and frankly, all professionals struggle is they, they intermix planning and strategy with execution. And what I mean by that is they decide in the heat of battle what they're going to do next. And the fact of the matter is like, human beings are emotional creatures. And oftentimes we get distracted easily. And instead of doing what's the right next thing, we do what's right in front of us or this, we, you know, we, we grease the squeaky wheel as opposed to doing the thing that might be very, very important, but not necessarily urgent. So I'm going to talk about how I address that. Um, but my start of the day, I, I always try to have consistent, uh, more, more often than not, I'll start my day with my workout. Um, and part of the reason that I do that is I really believe a number of things, but like starting the day on my terms is really essential. I think a lot of people wake up and what they do is they, they, they set their alarm for the latest possible time where they can like wake up and not show up on their first zoom meeting, like looking completely disheveled and they start the day and they immediately hit the snooze button a couple times. And then they look at their email first thing before they've even gotten out of bed. And in my mind, that's like a recipe to start your day on somebody else's terms, because the inbox is often a source of stress for most of us. Even if it's like you check and, oh, wow, a customer signed a contract or they scheduled a meeting with me. I'm still starting my day in a reactive state where I'm consuming something. And what I want to do is start my day by creating something. So I'm either going to start my day by exercising, which is me doing something for me, and it's me creating, building something or I'm going to start the day picking up the phone and cold calling. The days that are my rest days in the morning, I start the day picking up the phone and making calls because I want to start the day with me prompting action. I want to be proactive, not reactive. Um, I'm going to pause for a second because I can talk about the back half of the day because I think that's just as, if not more important, but you may have questions about what I just talked about in terms of planning the attack, attacking the plan, and then what I do in the beginning. Yeah, no, um, no, I thought that was great. So, and I think you call that swallowing the frog. Is that right? Yeah, so, I call it, I call yeah, it eating, eating the frog. And the idea there is if 
on your to-do list is to eat a live frog. I'm an animal lover. And so I didn't come up with the analogy, but I, I use it anyways, because it's what people understand. And if your job that day is to eat a live frog that's sitting on your desk, what most people will do is they'll put that task off because it's particularly unpleasant. And unfortunately, when you put the task off, the frog doesn't go away. It sits on your desk and it starts to get warmer and slimier and grosser. And it's only going to be worse to eat it later in the day. Not only that, it's now weighing on you. And every time you go to answer an email or, or update your, um, your notes in Dooley, you're seeing that frog out of the corner of your eye. And it creates this cognitive drag where it's like, ah. I know I got to do this. It's like when you put off your homework in high school all weekend, you're thinking about, oh, I got to do my homework when you're better off. Just like, I don't know, Friday night or Saturday morning, just get it out of the way. It's the same idea with eat the frog. If you do your hardest thing, first thing in the day, there's a couple advantages. One, it's done. You've already done the hardest thing. It's no longer weighing on your conscience. Two, oftentimes the hardest thing in our day is synonymous with the most important thing in our day. And so when you get that out of the way, you've immediately started the day with your highest priority thing. Three, it starts to create this momentum where it's like, wow, if I could call that sort of contentious customer and like have that tough conversation out of the way, everything else is easy. And it goes downhill from there. The fact of the matter is like, by the time I get to 3.30, 4 o'clock, like I'm pretty brain dead and doing anything that's, that requires like a lot of sophistication and, and complex thinking, um, I'm not so good at. And so I try to do all the hard strategic stuff first thing in the morning. So in the afternoon, when I'm like sort of lower, lower, um, I don't know, output, I can focus on like the lower output stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that uh, we recorded this at the end of the day. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no. Um, I well, think wait. That's intentional, gonna... though. So, you, okay, let's talk about that for a second yeah. because we are recording this at the end of the day, and I'm really intentional about how I set up my day. Like I talked about, plan your attack, attack your plan, and what I try to do is push all of my meetings to the second half of the day because when I have white space in the morning. I'm in that like eat the frog mindset where it's like, okay, I'm going to pick up the phone and make some cold calls. I'm going to put together that really complex proposal. That's going to like really, really take some strategy. And so I'm out there creating and doing stuff. And then by the second half of the day, no matter what, even if I didn't have any meetings, like I'm pretty brain dead, no matter what. And so then I'm in front of customers. And honestly, when I'm in front of a customer face-to-face on a zoom meeting, my energy is going to spike no matter what. And so I don't have to motivate myself. It's like, you know, if you're at the gym and you're like midway through a rep, you're not like trying to motivate yourself anymore. Like you're literally the weights are in your hand. And so you're not like trying to get to the gym, if that makes sense. I don't know if that analogy works, but the idea is like, we're already here. We're having this conversation. I'm going to be on because I'm connecting with a human being and I don't have to push myself. That's just sort of my personality to connect with the human being. This is like easy and fun versus the tough stuff. I want to get out of the way in the morning. Some people are the opposite though. Like Armand structures his day opposite. He only wants to have customer meetings in the first like half of the day. And then he does his work in the latter half. So you have to sort of monitor yourself and understand like your personal working rhythm and then try to match your schedule the best you can to it. It doesn't always work, but if you get it right 80% of the time, things start to get really, really fun. 
Yeah, I love that because uh, you addressed the thing that I was going to say is like, it depends on what's easiest for you, right? And what like gives you energy. So you talked about like meeting with customers, giving you energy at the time that you need energy at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but some people will be the opposite and either it's it's draining or they, you know, just uh, don't need that energy at the end of the day. They need it at the beginning of the day. So balancing it like based on how like you are balanced uh, and like how you are sort of programmed uh, makes a lot of sense. So is actually like a perfect transition, I think, into the next thing you were going to say of like, how do you continue to control the day, right? Like you control it at the beginning. How do you like set your calendar time block? Like what, what are some tricks? Um, let's go over like three to five uh, tips and tricks um, for time management. Sure. So the first thing I'm actually going to skip over what's happening in the middle of the day. And let's talk about when you should be thinking about this stuff the most. I talked about I can control the um, plan and I can control the beginning of the day, the end of the day is the same before I go to bed. Every single night before I go to bed, I I write two pages in a spiral notebook like this. The first page, I just brain dump whatever's top of mind. It's usually like a recap of like the day and what I ate and how things were going with my girlfriend and my workout. But then the second day, what I do um, is I do a look ahead to the next day. And I I look through my calendar and I write out every single appointment that I have the next day. And I start to identify like, what are the keys to success for the next day? I usually try to write a couple bullets. Like one of the ones that I wrote today was, okay, I had a really big gap of time, like a five hour gap of time in the afternoon. And I knew if I didn't work in sprints, meaning work really hard and then take breaks, work really hard and then take breaks, that time I'd end up just like working at 60% capacity the whole way through. I'd rather work in spikes. And so I try to identify like, what are going to be the keys to success? Oh, wow. I've got a really, really tight day. I'm not going to have any time to eat. Okay. I need to make sure that I have a big breakfast the next day so that I'm not completely starving in my my three o'clock meeting. And so it's different every single day, those keys to success, but I try to look for those. So what I do is I write out my schedule and I identify, oh, you know what? I had planned to prospect in the afternoon, but I'm realizing that I'm not going to be able to for whatever reason. I guess I might need to wake up an hour earlier. And so I'll make adjustments to where I fit in white space based on how I'm perceiving the next day. So The first piece is just like you should always be evaluating, I think on a daily basis, your calendar to understand what are your personal preferences, what's working, what's not, what could be improved so that you get incrementally better day by day. Um, But what are some specific things you can do to, to set your calendar up for success? The first thing is I really try to protect focus time. And what I also want to do is try to context switch as little as possible. And so I subscribe to a time management technique that I call batching. It's the idea of you want to group like activities. An example of that is a lot of salespeople will say, I read on the internet somewhere that the best time to make cold calls is in the last 10 minutes of the hour because people are just coming out of their meetings and they might be free. And theoretically, that might make sense. But what ends up happening is now every 50 minutes, you end up having an interruption where you've got to open up your call list and pick up the phone open up your call script and sort of get in the headspace of, all right, time to make some calls. What I do is I block an hour on my calendar and I shut down my email. I shut down Slack. I don't do anything but cold call for one focused hour. And then it's done. I don't have to do it again. I don't have to get back in that headspace again. Another thing that I do is if I'm going to show a demo to a customer, what I want to do is get in the demo headspace just one time throughout the day. Even if I have four demos, what that means is I'm scheduling demos back to back to back to back 
okay, you might give yourself 10 minutes in between those meetings to reset your demo environment, and get a sip of water. But the idea is I'm not going from cold calling to showing a demo to an internal products training to another demo to a couple more cold calls to a one-on-one with my manager to one more demo. That's exhausting that context switching. And I want to get in the groove as much as I can. So I try to stack like activities. And something that helps me do that is I color code my calendar. So I create um, for my activities, I create, I use, I use an Outlook calendar. I just, I just make things different colors. A first meeting with a new customer is a green meeting because it's like, okay, I really want to highlight that. Um, other external calls with customers that are like in deal cycle, I make red. Internal calls are blue. The, the actual specific colors don't really matter, but it's the idea that I can very quickly visually look at my day and understand what's coming down the line this day, this week, this month. So those are some things that I really try to do to, to set myself up for success calendar wise. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, there's actual science like behind uh, context switching, right? Like where it, I mean, there's two things that come to mind. Like one, there's just like the laws of motion, right? Mm-hmm. Of like when when you're in motion, when you're in a specific motion, you're going to keep going. Like uh, you you have like the momentum behind that, right? Like a good demo is going to like carry over to the next one and you have the mm-hmm. momentum from the first one and you like know what you're doing. And so it'll, it's that forward moment momentum. And also when you're stopped, when you're like resting, it's just like, it's hard to like go from zero to a hundred. Right. And so there's that type of science with it. And then there's also, and I'll, I'll find this article and drop it in the comments, but there's also um, just like a whole, I think it's a Forbes article that's on uh, context switching. And it's mm-hmm. something like, five to 10 minutes, you know, to just like, just switch your brain to a different setting. Right. And so if you're constantly context switching, you're just losing all that time that it just takes your brain to switch. It's exhausting. You end up being like, man, why am I so tired? It's the end of the day. And it's because you're jumping from thing to thing to thing, from screen to screen to screen. Like there's already so much context switching that's like inserted into the life of a salesperson because of the nature of you're working with 57 different customers who are all in different stages and cycles of your deal. And so like that's context switching right there. You're not doing just one specific thing. You're not building a machine. You're helping customers navigate the buying process. And so anything you can do to to control that piece of your day is really essential. Yeah, no, I think that's really smart. The other thing I want to call out for people too, though, is there, like there's, there's there's studies and there's stats that are going to say what you said of like, yeah, at the end of the hour, the end of the day, like that's like, that's the hack, you know, like that's the mm-hmm. thing like where you're going to be able to like catch, uh, catch your prospect in time, right? That's like the thing that you're missing. Um, when in reality, like if you just do, if you set yourself up for success, right? Like by getting up early or by doing things at times where that makes the most sense for you, like that's where you're going to have the wins, right? Like, like no hack is going to, is going to fix like you just being off because it's not a good time for you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think like, even if there is a slight statistical advantage to that last 10 minutes of the hour calling, the cognitive impact is going to like even things out. It's going to, yeah, you maybe have a 2% higher connect rate, but it's going to like, you're going to end up losing like an hour of your day from that context switching. So you're better off having a lower connect rate and then just batching it all in one burst. And then you're also fresh the rest of the day. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, so the, the other question that I had, and this is like, again, like perfect, uh, perfect switchover, um, context switching, uh, is, uh, 
the time wasters. So let's talk about like, what are the biggest like distractions and time wasters for salespeople? Like what are, what are these like context switching things that are like throwing salespeople off their game? I think one of the biggest wastes for salespeople is email. And the issue with email is that it's tremendously convenient and it also documents things, right? If I send an email to a customer, we now have that documented and I feel like, okay, it's checked off of my list. And I try to subscribe to if an email exchange with a colleague or a customer is going to take two or three back and forth emails or slacks or texts, I should just pick up the phone and have a conversation. And part of the reason for that is a three minute conversation can communicate more than like 20 back and forth emails and you get the benefit of, of, of having, you know, intonation and they can understand like points of emphasis and your, your, um, just like the way that you communicate things. And so I always try to opt for the phone instead of email. Um, and I think a lot of salespeople will spend time crafting like this perfect email. There's not a single typo or punctuation error. And they like put together this beautiful value proposition. And the customer's like, oh, you didn't understand what I said in my last email. What I meant was X. And it's like, you can accomplish so much more just by ripping through the phones. And so one of the things that I do is like right now, I probably have, I don't know, 30 active opportunities that I'm working all at sort of different paces. And what I'll do is if I don't have like a firm next step on the calendar, which happens sometimes with customers, you can't always control them into putting something on the calendar is I'll just go through and call every single one of them and try to move things forward. And that is so much more powerful than just like a check-in email, just sometimes calling people and saying, Hey, like, I wanted to reconnect on X project. I'm curious where your head is at. And if you feel like there's other things that we should be doing in part of your evaluation. And just by doing that, you can start to move things forward. So I think heavily biasing email over or phone over email. The other thing is understanding that when you get something in your inbox or your Slack, like any, when, when I use inbox, I use that term as like any work that's coming in. I get work via text via GroupMe, via LinkedIn, via email, I'll get voicemails or calls. And so what I try to do is for anything that comes in work-wise, I have a process for how I'm going to filter that. And it's called the four Ds, delete, delegate, defer, do. And I'll go through each one pretty quickly. Delete is just something that like, I don't need, I can trash it. I like, you know, you get spam emails. Sometimes salespeople send me stuff. I don't know why. Um, and so a lot of that stuff I can just trash. And what you should also do is if you're like getting marketing newsletters from something that's totally irrelevant, don't like keep letting those be distractions every time you get one, unsubscribe from those things, get them off of your, like you want to get rid of the volume of stuff that comes in. So delete's pretty easy. If something comes in and I don't need to deal with it or see it, you delete it. Delegate is something that needs to be done, but it's not my responsibility to do. Um, maybe I'll get, uh, so something that will happen for my podcast is somebody will reach out and say, Hey, I want to come on your podcast. And I say, great. I'm not the person who makes those decisions. You need to talk to X. I'm going to put you in touch with them. And then I forward it over to them. That's a delegation. There might be things that, I, that I'm responsible for, but I'm not the one who needs to do. And so what I do then is I forward something to whoever needs to do it. And then I flag it and outlook to say, Hey, I need to remind myself to stay on top of this person. Something that I've learned in my career is anything that's delegated should be verified. It doesn't mean you don't trust your people, but it means there's so much stuff going back and forth. If you're ultimately responsible for something, you need to at least check in and make sure that it gets done, even if you're not the one doing it. So those are kind of easy, delete, delegate, defer and do, do I'm going to hit on first. 
If you get something in your inbox, and this goes back to that context switching, Camille, if you get something in your inbox that needs to be done, and it will take you less than two minutes to do, you should do it on the spot. The reason for that is twofold. One, it takes more time to create a reminder on your to-do list to do that thing than it would just to do it then. The other reason is the context switching piece. If it has come in and you're evaluating it, well, you're already focused on it and you're really close to that thing. And so you're close to being in the mindset of like getting it done. So you should just get it off your plate and not in the future have to reset yourself, recalibrate cognitively to what's in front of you. So that's why if it takes you less than two minutes to do, just do it on the spot. And then defer is simple. It's something that needs to be done, but not right then. And this is right in the beginning of this interview, we talked about how folks sometimes get distracted by the squeaky wheel that's in front of them, as opposed to the most important thing. When I defer something, I put it on my to-do list, but I have the ability on my to-do list to put things in order. And so when I put it on my to-do list, I don't just like have an indiscriminate list. I have it stack ranked in terms of importance, not in terms of necessarily due date. I do have a separate flag for that, but if there's, I want to, when I have open time to like do a task blitz, to start with the highest impact, most important things. And I think too many people with their to-do list, they look at it and they say, okay, I've got 42 things on my to-do list. That's a lot. I just want to whittle this down. And what they start to do is they start to attack the things that like aren't very meaningful, but only take a little bit of amount of time to do so that the list seems smaller. And then they're last, left with 17 really big things that are like, oh, that's a lot. Do the inverse. Start with the frogs. And then when you're fried and it's the end of that task, let's do the easy stuff so you feel good about yourself. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I'm feeling motivated. I'm feeling just like ready to, to take on the day, even though it's now like almost four o'clock. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, we actually covered the other thing I was going to that was going to cover um, of uh, qualifying uh, your accounts. So we didn't talk, to, we didn't talk about this a ton. So maybe we can still touch on it. Just how do you prior, prioritize not just your to-do list, but how do you prioritize your accounts, your opportunities? That's a really good one. Um, you want to start with the things that have the highest chance of closing and are closest to close first, because starting with somebody that's way further back, like, you know, in sales, you have a quota that you're held to, and you want to make sure that you're always closest to like, those time, time kills all deals is a saying that's talked about in sales a lot. And it's true. And so if I've got a deal that's hot and it's close to close, I want to do anything that I can to move it closer. So the way that I, I rank or qualify my opportunities in terms of the order that I work with is I go based on what's closest to close and has the hottest traction. If there's a deal that's hot and moving and close to closing, okay, I'm going to start there. And then I'm going to work through all the way to like my warm stuff pretty much every single day. Any deal that's actively moving, I want to touch every single day. And one of two things happens. I either have something that's on the calendar as a next step. And so I don't need to touch it unless I'm multi-threading and working with multiple people, or I need to take action to help get something on the calendar and propel the deal forward. And so I quickly look at every deal and I say, okay, is there a next step? Does this need action? Yes or no? Okay, great. Move to the next one. Next step, action needed. Okay, no move to the next one. And that's what takes me through all my hot and my warm opportunities. And then there's the cold ones, which you sort of have on slow drip. And again, I'm using the phone. 
And I'm leaning heavily on the, the, this, like the, um, the phrase of if there's a deal that hasn't really engaged for a while, it's like, Hey, um, I'm not sure whether or not you want to continue evaluating my thing. If you do awesome, let me know. I'm happy to help. If not, you're never going to hurt my feelings. Um, just let me know. I certainly don't want to be a pest with my follow-up is what I say. And the idea there is like, I don't, that that's very intentional. I don't want to be a pest with my follow-up. I'm saying that because I don't want to be a pest. I really like don't want to be that annoying salesperson, but I'm also letting them know, like, I'm going to continue to follow up. That is my job to follow up. So I really would love for you to tell me like, no, I don't want, like, this is a lost deal because I don't want to waste my time on it. I think there's a lot of salespeople that spend time like staring at their big fat pipeline, but two thirds of it is garbage. And that two thirds that is garbage, even if you're not wasting time checking in and following up, which a lot of salespeople who like thrive on hope do, your, your, your mind is looking at that and it's a distraction from the real stuff. I would rather have a much smaller, thinner, truer pipeline than a big, fat, fake one. And so I'm trying to get customers that aren't actively moving either in or out. They won't hurt my feelings. If they're in, awesome. What do we need to do next? Like, tell me what you'd like to do next. If they're out, no problem. Just so I can figure out, like, I want to make sure I'm positioning this right and I do a better job for the next customer. Could you give me a sense of like what we could have done differently or if there was something off or was this just bad timing? Um, and I'm going to use that to help inform how I behave on the next deal. Or maybe they just misunderstood something and I can clear up a misunderstanding that brings it back in. But either way, like, I just want the truth. I think that's an, uh, it's, it's almost like a lens through which I try to behave as a salesperson. I am only interested in the truth of the deal. If it's not a fit, that is okay. When you get to the truth of objections, of concerns, that stuff exists no matter what. And one of two things happens. You either understand that it exists and you talk about it with the customer and get to a place of mutual understanding, or you hide from it. And too many salespeople are afraid to cover the tough stuff, pricing and competitors. And, oh, you worked with us in the past and didn't have a great experience. You got to proactively bring that stuff up. Otherwise, it's going to silently kill your deal. You should never have your deal silently killed. If it's going to get killed, it should be out in the open and you should know about it. In fact, you should be the one to bring that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So you have like a very like aggressive um, qualification process, right? Um, so that you know what your actual pipeline looks like. So you you don't want any gray in your pipeline. You want it to be like clear, like these are the best deals. These are the okay deals. Nothing that's not that's not a real possibility. That's not the truth is, is even going to be there. Um, well, if, I'm, if I'm selling duly and like, I'm not sure what CRM the customer is using. What I'm not going to do is go down this like long belabored, I've shown them 42 demos only to find out that they're using a proprietary CRM. And it's like, wow, I just wasted a lot of time. doesn't mean you want to completely kick that customer to the curb because who knows, maybe down the line, you'll be able to work with a customer like that. But you need to understand where you can actually sell today and you want to stack rank towards those. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example. And uh, it's in everyone's best interest, right? You don't want to waste their time. Uh, you don't want to waste your time. Like it's, it's a win-win to have those hard conversations early. Right. Mm. So I think it's a good actual like wrap up um, for, for the episode too, of, of just uh, the theme being to eat the frog, right? <laughs> do eat the hard the things first, like do, do the, do that with your prospects, uh, do that uh, with your day. Um, do, do the things uh, that are, are the most most uncomfortable um, so that you can control your day and so that things happen.
The only thing that I'll add to that is you don't want to blindly just do hard things. And a good example of that is like, okay, maybe your Salesforce notes kind of stink and they take a really long time to update. What you shouldn't do is be like, oh, that's a hard thing. It's a good thing to do. Like I'm always on the hunt for, is there a faster way to do this? Is there a better way to do this? And it's part of the reason that like, I'm grateful for Dooley because you guys really do help with that. I'm always looking for, is there a better way to get this done? So if you can find a better way to update your Salesforce notes, do that. If there's a better way, like a better system to keep track of your customer follow-ups, take advantage of that. Um, If there's a proposal tool that can help you put together a proposal more quickly and it looks better for the customer, find a way to do that. What you should never be doing is doing hard stuff for the sake of doing hard stuff, but... The fact that, and that, what that allows you to do then is when like you have a certain willpower budget and a hard stuff budget. And so hard stuff that can be avoided or outsourced or eliminate, you should be cutting that fat so that when it's really tough stuff, you're at your full power for it. Yeah. Perfect. High value work, right? Uh, More so than hard hard work, high value work, prioritize that first Um, and don't put off the processes forever, right? Like, cause that usually is not the hard stuff. So it gets like, uh, it's not, you know, we don't have to do it right now, um, but it's an investment, right? And so like doing it along the way, it's going to, it's going to help out. Totally. Well, Nick, thank you so much uh, for, for being on and for like rapidly <laughs> answering these questions and some curveballs that I threw out. Uh, I I'll, always enjoy talking to you. So um, yeah. talk soon. Thank you for having me on Camille. This was a lot of fun and I'm happy to come back anytime. Thanks for listening to the Revenue Playbook. For more sales playbooks, head over to dooley.ai.